The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. If you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter. I'm going to I want to take this week and next week to kind of break away from where we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark and uh, address us on some things that I think are necessary as we look at this new year. How many of you made New Year's resolutions? How many of you made New Year's resolutions? Let me say that again. (laughs) Thursday, we had our church council meeting and... uh, with the chairpersons of our outgoing committee leaders. And as is typical, January, it's kind of a tradition here, you pick up Chick-fil-A or something like that. So I went to Bojangles and got a bunch of ham biscuits, right? We all love ham biscuits. And I got the little bowberries, you know what I'm talking about? And I set them on the table with the men and, and they just sat there. And, and they wouldn't go for it. They said, no, I can't. I can't. I said, you know what? From now on, I'm going to do this in February because come February, you'll have broken the resolution uh, that you had set in January. Um, I, I want to talk this morning just a little bit about some of what really I think might ought to be our goal, if you will, uh, for the coming year as followers of Christ. And I want to use this passage here in Second Peter chapter 1 because Peter really addresses some areas in our lives that if we want to mature as believers, continue to grow as believers, he gives us some very specific things of how we ought to do that or how we can do that. So follow along with me. I'm going to read, begin reading in verse 3 uh, through verse 11, but we're only going to look at a few of these verses this morning. Peter writes and he says, His, that's God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted us His precious and very great promises, so that through them, that is, His promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, His precious promises, those things that He's done, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that as we look intently at your word this morning, God, the Holy Spirit would prick our hearts, would move in our hearts. God, you know every heart and you know every person in this room this morning, God, better than they know themselves. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us through your word. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. 
There's an account of a little boy when he was asked by a man, Son, how old are you? And the little boy eagerly responded and he said, I'm 12, but I'm going on 13 and soon I'll be 14. That's a little boy that wanted to grow up, right? And I think we all can relate to this little boy in some way as a Christian because if you remember when you first became a believer, when you first trusted Christ, you were very eager to, to want to grow in Him, to know more of Him, and to be more like Him. And as often is the case, sometimes we, we get to a point in our Christian life where we kind of become content. We say, you know, I've, I've done all that, I've been there, I bought the t-shirt, and, and now I'm just settled, and I'm comfortable where I am, and I'm looking for the sweet by and by. It reminds me of a story that I read once of a farmer who kind of expressed this. He was a Christian, and one of his buddies in the church asked him about his spiritual growth. And the farmer looked at this man that had asked him about his spiritual growth, and he said, you know, I, I'm really not making much progress, but I'm, I'm content where I am because I'm well established. He kind of gotten stuck in the mire. Well, it wasn't very long after that that this farmer during the spring was hauling a, a wagon full of stuff up the hill and the, the, the ground was muddy and the weight of the wagon had kind of bogged his wagon down in the mud and he, and he couldn't get it out no matter how much he tried to drive his teams of donkeys. He couldn't, couldn't get him to move and this brother in the church comes up to him and says, man, I see you got a problem there, but you know, I, I guess it's really not a big deal because you're content and it sure looks like you're well established where you are. Question, are you content? Are you well established where you are? And I would propose to you, based on what Peter's going to tell us this morning, if you say, yes, I'm content, I'm, I'm, I'm established where I am, and I'm, I'm ready to settle here, then that's not what God has intended for you or for me, if that's where we are. You see, Peter begins to write this and, and tells us that, listen, as a believer, in response to all these things that God has done for you, now you want to continue to grow in your faith. How many of us know that it's not a, a one-time shot? Spiritual growth is a lifetime progress. But we, just like the farmer, if we decide that, you know what, I'm content where I am, God will let us be content where we are. But we'll never go on to experience the richness, richness that He has called us to. This last several weeks, I've just kind of been reflecting at the end of the year, like it's kind of normal, where I've gone the last year, where I've been, and, 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 and looking at the coming year. And I had a friend that I was with ask me, what are your goals for 2019 in your life and in your ministry? And granted, I have some goals that I set there, but I'm really not that concerned about achieving the goals that, that I've set there because what's become more important to me is the man I want to become, not the things that I want to do. Did you hear that? You see, we ought to be more concerned about what God wants us to become rather than what He wants us to do. Because it's very easy to achieve a lot in the name of God and yet have no change in our own hearts and our lives. But God's primary concern, hear me on this, God's primary concern in your life and in my life is that we grow in conformity to the likeness of Christ. You see, that's what He's most concerned about. 
And Peter writes in this, in this letter, he, he begins by saying, I think it's in verse 4, he says, I want you to make every effort, meaning that something that we have got to do in this process of spiritual growth or maturing in Christ. He says, you make every effort. In other words, what is dependent on you, go for it. My question is, are we making every effort to grow in maturity in Christ? Now, there are kind of two approaches that people take on this. And I would contend that both of them are wrong. Sometimes we say, you know, we need to let go and let God. Well, that is not a biblical statement. And sometimes we say, well, you know, God started it, now it's all up to me to complete it. And that's not a biblical statement either. I remind you what Paul says, that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and do according to His purposes. They're both involved there. We can't grow spiritually, we can't grow to maturity if we just sit back and we don't participate with what God's wanting to do in our lives, nor can we grow to spiritual maturity if we say, God, you cranked it up, now it's all up to me. That's of the flesh. Both of these are of the flesh. God says in His Word, listen, you need the divine power of the Holy Spirit, but there are some things that you've got to make every effort in your life to change, to grow into spiritual maturity. Now notice the first area that it starts in is found here in verse, uh, in verse 5. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. The starting point is a relationship with Christ that's based on faith in Him and what He has done for you. If you're here this morning, and I don't care if you've been a member of First Baptist and every other Baptist church or Pentecostal or whatever it is, if you've not come to the place where you've trusted Christ for your salvation, you cannot grow spiritually. See, it starts at, at faith. And, and he's not saying add, your, add to your faith in something that you can do to gin up more faith. He's talking about the solid base that you've trusted Christ. Now he says hey, you're to supplement that. Do you ever have the question sometimes as to why is it that people just don't run to Jesus? I mean, my goodness, when you, when you look at these verses that precede this, where he says, make every effort to add to or supplement your faith, what he's talking about is leading back to that, where he says that, listen, he has called you for this very reason, you're to add to your faith these different character virtues. He says, he has called you. God, creator of the universe, has called you. Does that blow you away? Wait a minute. Are you awake this morning? You don't love Him because you decided to love Him. The Bible says that you love Him because He first loved you. And this is one of the reasons that Peter says, listen, I want you to add to that faith because He's called you. He's called you to Himself. And He's allowed you by His power to escape the corruption of the world because of sinful desires. I didn't just stop on my own will doing the stuff I was doing before I came to know Jesus. Why? Because that would be my own fleshly efforts. But it was God by His divine power, by the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life, that's allowed us to turn away from those things and pursue Him. Thank Him for that. 
He, he's called us. He's delivered us from all of that. Now we have an opportunity to pursue Him. You see, before you and I came, became saved, we, we, we were dead in our sins and we couldn't pursue Him. But now He's given us the righteousness of God in Christ and He's filled us with the Holy Spirit that now He's empowered us that we can pursue Him. And it's not a matter of attitude that says, oh no, now I've got to change. You see, the Holy Spirit causes us to say, oh boy, I get to change. Isn't that neat? And Peter's saying, listen, in light of all of that, I, I, I want you to supplement your faith. This word supplement is an interesting word. It, it's, John, it's where we get the word chorus, our English word chorus from. If you're dramatic uh, or a dancer, it's where we get the word choreography from. He says, I want you to supplement your faith. And the reason that word is used is because in that day in the Greek culture, when there were lavish parties that would be thrown, there were choruses that would be put together to sing and perform at these different dinners and events. And, and there wasn't the endowment for the arts back then, but there were usually benefactors that would come along and they would supply all the financial needs that were necessary in order for to, to conduct that performance by choir, choral, music, or whatever. And these endowments would come from people that had, had very lavish means. And the person that was supporting that chorus was very concerned that it would go off good because their name and their reputation was on how well that chorus performed. And so they would spare no expense to underwrite these choruses. And that's where the word comes from. That, that it's a sense that Peter is saying, listen, listen, I, I want you to supplement, I want you to lavishly supplement all that's necessary, provide so that you might grow in Him. The question is, how can we operate with such diligence? Can we, can we just determine by our will to say, okay, today we're going to resolve to do this and I'm making a resolution. How's that working for you, folks, right? It's only by His divine power and the Holy Spirit that we can do that. You see, it's not on our own. And then he begins to, to list some of these virtues, if you will, I, I character traits that he says, I want you to supplement your faith with these things so that, so that you might now not only supplement with virtue, in other words, put everything of yourself into it, all the resources that you have, trust him to work in you, and then add to your virtue knowledge he says add to your virtue knowledge this word virtue is an, is another word that's interesting some of your bibles translate virtue as as moral excellence add to your faith uh, goodness add to your faith in the amplified bible it says excellence or resolution or christian energy and in that day to the greek it it, it simply meant add to a virtue that would be the fulfillment of the purpose of that item. Let me unwrap this idea a little bit. Uh, if, if, you, if you go out and, and you plow the ground to plant a garden, 
your expectation is that that's good soil and the intent of putting the seed in the soil is so that the plant will grow and it will bear fruit so that you can partake of that fruit. And if that soil does good, it has fulfilled its intended purpose. I love tools. I always joke and say, when I die, my wife's going to sell all my tools and she's going to really know how much I spent on my tools, right? But through the years, I bought a lot of tools that promised a lot of things, but they didn't fulfill the purpose in which I intended for them. But a good tool will fulfill the purpose of its intent. And what Peter's saying, listen, add virtue, because your purpose, my purpose as a believer, number one, number uno, the primary thing that God wants us to do in our life is to bring glory to Him. So he says, add to your faith virtue. I'm not sure what's going on with this thing. Add to your faith virtue. In other words, fulfill the purpose that God has intended for you in your life. And if you're looking for purpose in life, I would say start here. And that is to do everything you can to bring glory to God in whatever it is that you do. That you glorify Him. He says, add to your faith knowledge. Here he's not talking about cognitive knowledge, brain knowledge, or information in the brain, but he's making a reference to experiential knowledge, knowing the object that we're wanting to know, and in this, it's God. Add to your faith virtue and knowledge. One of the primary reasons for all of Scripture is to reveal to us God and who He is. Right? To, to reveal to us so that we might know who God is. Not just about Him, but His person. And so what Peter is, is telling us is that, listen, add to your faith virtue and, and add knowledge that you might know God. When's the last time you paused to, in the midst of a Bible study and said, you know what, I need to see God in this, not just facts about God. This knowledge of God, this experiential knowledge of God, and I'm not talking some doo-doo-doo twilight zone kind of experience. But it's experiencing Him and His nature and character of who He is. How does God define Himself in Scripture? What are the words that, that we find used about God? He describes Himself as a holy God, right? He, he describes Himself as a just God. He describes Himself as a merciful God. He describes Himself as a gracious God. He describes Himself as a loving God. He describes Himself as a good God. He describes Himself as a righteous God. He describes Himself as a God who is long-suffering. Describes Himself as a God who is wise. Now, I can know that about God, but this word knowledge says, listen, I want you to know God in that you experience who He is. And the way that that comes about is, number one, through the Scriptures as He's revealed Himself to us. 
But secondly, it comes about in being obedient to His Word and reflecting His nature and character of who He is through our lives. You see, we grow to know that God is a loving God when we see that He is a loving God and we reflect on the love that He extends to us. And when we reflect on the love that He extends to us, we say, God, make me that way. Make me the way that I can extend that same kind of love to those that are around me. And as we extend it, we experience who God is in and through our lives. Are you getting me here? You see, there's a, there's a great link. There's, there's a wide chasm. It's one thing to know about God, but it's another thing to experience what we know about God as He lives His life in and through us to others. So that's what Peter's saying. So if you and I are desiring spiritual maturity and spiritual growth, it behooves us to take take stock and, and look and examine who God is and examine our lives in relation to that and say, God, I want to be more like you. There's an old chorus that we used to sing, to be like Jesus, this hope possesses me. In every thought and deed, this is my aim, my creed. Question, do you want to be like Jesus? You can't do it on your own. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit, but there's something you've got to invest in it to allow Him to make that change in your life. Amen? He says, add to your knowledge self-control. This isn't the self-control that you keep yourself from ripping the guy out of the car that's just on your bumper at the next stoplight and beat the tar out of him and then go on. He's talking about self-control of our natural desires and tendencies. Self-control. Before I came to know Christ, I had very little self-control. As a matter of fact, it was kind of like, live for a day, man, let's have a party, right? But it wasn't until I came to know Christ that by the Holy Spirit, I began to see that some of the natural desires that I have are desires that are given and that they're good, but... But now, in the power of the Holy Spirit, there's some temperament to those desires that we need to exercise, right? I love to eat. How many of you love to eat? Is that a natural desire? Yeah. When you're saying self-control here, somebody offered me a donut in the lobby this morning. I said, I can't do it because if I have one, I'm going to eat 12. Oh, me or oh, my? Self-control. There are desires that we have for pleasurable things. I, I, I love music. I love playing music. But that desire, I have to be careful that it doesn't become a self-indulgent thing and get out of control in my life. I enjoy exercise, but if I'm not careful... Man, I, I, I just invest all of myself into that. So what's he saying? Don't put any of these things before me. Your greatest desire should be a pursuit after me. And don't allow these other things to get in the way of that. I like to look good. Some of you question that. 
But if I spent three hours in front of the mirror every day trying to look good, there's something fleshly about that. In other words, but it does take a little bit longer. I got hair growing places that it used to not grow. I like to, well, I would say fashionable, but you'd really disagree with that. Do you get the point that he's making here? But it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we lack so often. We've been trained in the church that, that you just do it. Christian life is not a Nike commercial. But we rely on the Holy Spirit and His power. And then we follow in obedience to Him, resting in His power in that. I love what Solomon writes in the proverb. He says this. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 16. He says, if you have found honey... Eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit. <laughs> Write that one down. That's a good one. Take it to Bojangles with you. Or wherever you need to go with it. If you found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill and you vomit it. He says, add to your self-control steadfastness, endurance, perseverance would be other words for this. Um, I read a book one time where it described different types of pastors and it said that there are, there are plow horses and there are race horses. I added a third one to it because I've seen some that are show horses, right? What he's saying here is steadfastness, be a plow horse. Any of you grow up watching horses or mules plow? And you begin them in the right direction, they'll plow all day. Steady as she goes. Steadfastness. I've run a number of marathons in my life. I don't do it anymore. One of the things I recognized, not only in running marathons, but training for marathons, there were several hundred miles you had to log in order to do that. But when you get to about mile 20 in a 26.2 race, you start having second thoughts. Why in the world am I doing this? And I would have to keep in mind the, the, the end, the finish line. I've invested all of this. But man, I got, I got to concentrate on the finish line. I'm not going to settle in. I'm not going to check out. I'm not going to say, okay, I'm just comfortable where I am. I'm content where I am. And I'm at ease and I just want to stay here. No, he says, man, look at the finish line. I'm reminded of what Paul writes to Timothy when he says, I have fought the fight. I've finished the race. Paul's saying, listen, from day one, I kept pursuing to grow to maturity in Christ. So my encouragement to you this morning is if you're stuck in the mud, if you're content just coming to Sunday school and they're doing a church service and coming to Wednesday night, this thing is driving me crazy. Is it driving you crazy? I know it's not, y'all. The connection? Or get a handheld? If I get a handheld, I'll start high-stepping. I'm afraid to do that. Steadfastness. And, and when this word's used in Scripture, oftentimes it's used in steadfastness, not only when things are going good, but when things are going bad, too. 
So I mean, stay steady in the course. James 1, you know the verse. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You see, sometimes we have the idea that the devil's done it to us. No, sometimes God's placed that there because He wants to increase your measure of steadfastness. Because there's something He's got to do in your life. He says, add to your steadfastness godliness. This word simply means having a piety towards God. You might translate this word godliness in having a fear and a reverence and an awe for God which would translate into worship. Add to your steadfastness, godliness, a fear, a reverence, a worship of God. And not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of your life. Reminded of what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, in light of all of this other stuff I've talked about in the first 11 chapters of Romans. He says, therefore, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies, that's your whole being, as a living sacrifice to Him. Holy, righteous, for this is your reasonable act of worship. We say, what is worship? Worship really is worth-ship. Because God is the only one who's worth all of my praise and my honor, my life, and all that I am. He says, add to this brotherly affection. It's the word phileo. Where we get the word Philadelphia from. It's, it's, it's just a brotherly affection. Paul says in Romans 12:10, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. And then he says this, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I know it doesn't happen here, but I've seen in some bodies where there's not a lot of brotherly or sisterly affection. Sometimes it is to the face. But it's not when the two parties split ways, right? You see, in order for you and I to grow to maturity, Peter's saying, listen, you've got to add to your faith brotherly affection. And that means that when you're offended by a brother or a sister, you release that one and forgive. Have you seen the the, uh, commercial lately for the insurance where the couple are standing there? And they're talking about forgiveness with the insurance. And I can't remember the name of the insurance. It's an older couple standing there, and he says, uh, the, the husband says, you know, they don't, they don't hold your accident against you. See there, honey, they don't, they don't hold grudges. How mature of them. We need to be mature. I tell you this morning that if there's anyone in the past, in this body or anywhere else, that you can't exhibit genuinely brotherly love to, then you need to get your heart right and confess it to God and say, God, forgive me and I want to forgive them. Brotherly affection. He says, outdo one another. (laughs) Lastly, he says, and add to brotherly affection... Love. Here's the different word for love. It's agape love. It's unconditional love. 
It's the same kind of love that God extends to us. You say, well, you know, I can't love that way. I can love them in Jesus' name, but I can't love them that way. Yes, you can, because the Bible says that God has poured out His love abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. You see, when I say I can't love them that way, what I'm really saying is I don't want to love them that way. He says love them unconditionally. That's hard, isn't it? Let's be honest. That's hard, isn't it? Can't do it on my own. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. Closing question. What's your goal for 2019? I'd love to exhort you to make your number one goal to become the man or the woman that God has intended for you to become. A couple of practical ways I want to share with you that we want to help you in that. Number one is this. I think where Peter says your knowledge of God, knowing who He is. This is not a cheap advertisement, but my wife does a blog. Every day she posts on a chapter of Scripture. If you're interested in growing through the Word in that way, if you don't have a regular routine of a devotional that really takes you to the Word, then write this down on a sheet of paper. It's called theplantingplace.com. Right now she's in the book of Genesis. That'd be a great place to start. Secondly is this. Y'all, for a year and a half, two years, we've been talking about discipleship. Many of you have gone through the real-life discipleship preparation. Some of you are engaged and others. And as we've been going along, we've been working out a way that makes it very easy for individuals to get together and disciple one another. Well, we now have determined what we're going to use as a platform of discipleship. And it is a study through the Gospel of Mark, but there's far more to that. Next week, we'll have these available in the lobby. And what I want to encourage you to do, if you want to grow as a disciple of Christ, I want you to start asking those that you're around, that you have a relationship with, and saying, do you have the same desire that I do? It's to grow as a disciple of Jesus so that I can make other disciples. And the person says, yeah, I do. Then say, okay, then let's you and I start getting together. Or maybe a couple of people. And these will be available for you next week. I'm going to explain more next week how you can use this and implement it. Also, this Wednesday night, men, we're starting a group together, men's discipleship on Wednesday nights. I've gotten to the place that, not that it's not good, but I just want to be honest with you. Can I be honest for a minute? Can I take off my coat and just be honest? I'm tired of teaching classes that I don't see a whole lot of effect in. I've gotten to the place that I want to see people become greater disciples of Jesus, and then they make others followers of Jesus. That's what He's called us to, right? Men, if you don't have anywhere to be Wednesday night, and I'd say if you do have somewhere to be, but you have a desire to grow as a disciple, we're going to disciple one another together on Wednesday nights right here in what used to be the bride's room. Be there 6 p.m. Sunday night. We'll have the books and all available on next Sunday. Two practical ways. We, you see, it's one thing for us to talk about this, but for us not to provide avenues for that. 
And this is one of the things that we feel very, very, very committed to, and that's making disciples. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.